The pace of change, especially in the AI environment, is so vast that I think it's inevitable that we're going to see job losses. Hello and welcome to The Growth Business, a podcast sponsored by Sapphire, home of frictionless digital systems. I'm your host, Lucy Thorpe, and this month I've sought out the expertise of senior technology journalist Jane Wakefield, formerly at the BBC, now a freelance writer, podcaster, consultant and media trainer. There are many good reasons to speak to Jane, but it seems appropriate now as AI and automation are having a moment, not least in the form of ChatGPT, which is something I can't wait to talk to Jane about. Welcome, Jane. Hello, Lucy. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming on. Tell me how the world of freelance is treating you after the rigours of being at the BBC. Well, I'm not missing the morning commute uh, and I'm not missing the demands of the tech news desk, which I should imagine are frantic at the moment. The world of tech seems to move at a pace slightly faster than every other part of the news um, cycle. So yes, my life is a little bit more laid back, but I'm still very much enjoying being part of the tech world. Yeah, so much to talk about, so much we can talk about. And we we have to start with chat GPT. I know everybody's talking about it and we may <laughs> even struggle to have an original take on it. But look, let's <laughs> let's dig into it anyway. Within five days of its launch, I had more than a million people uh, using it. I still can't get access to it because I was too late. But plenty of my colleagues are using it regularly on behalf of themselves and for clients. Most people have got an opinion. Such a big story. <laughs> What's your take? Yeah. yeah, well, it's been fascinating to see it unfold, hasn't it? And a subject, artificial intelligence, that I've been writing on for many years, actually, suddenly like hit everybody's consciousness. And, you know, my friends who've never (laughs) used the phrase AI are now talking about it as if it's the most common thing in the world. So I think in that respect, it's kind of been really interesting because it's some of the questions that we've been having as journalists and in the AI world and even amongst governments and regulators are now sort of being thrown out there about what we, how we kind of cope with the rise of this. And it's it certainly seems to be working very well. Uh, it's very good at what it does, although also it's got its limitations. And we're seeing all of that played out because there's so many. You mentioned a million people within five days. I think it's up to something like 13 million now. It's really, really popular. It's popular because it's free. It's popular because it seems quite good at doing certain things. And it's popular because it's out there on social media and everyone's talking about it. But I think we have to be slightly cautious because I'm not sure it will stay free forever. You know, these things have a have a tendency to be launched free. And I'm sure that OpenAI, which is the company behind ChatGPT, is getting vast amounts of information about how its system is functioning from all the people using it. So that's great for it. But ultimately, it's got to have some sort of business function. And I suspect we will not see it being free forever. So those that can use it probably should take the advantage now. Absolutely. And and you see things that have been talked about for such a long time now starting to happen. One of the things that I remember reading about was lawyers, about how basic conveyancing and things like that was going to be automated. And, you know, even journalists, you're now seeing the ability to write really quite decent copy and to do other people's jobs quite well thank you very much so I mean do you see this as a an area for job losses um well there's only three answers to that isn't there yes no or maybe and I think the only real answer is maybe because we just don't know but 
the pace of change, especially in the AI environment, is so vast that I think it's inevitable that we're going to see job losses. But let's not forget that AI has been underlying systems for many years previously before everybody started talking about it. We had um, Associated Press, I think, have been using AI-type systems to write up financial reports since around 2015. Interestingly, just a couple of weeks ago, there was a report about a tech website. CNET had been trialing AI writing and had been sort of uncovered and uh, exposed as using this and testing this system out. So again, we're seeing we're seeing people starting to actually ask, is this article that says written by staff, written by a human or by a machine in ways that perhaps you wouldn't even consider thinking about before before this year? Um, and the, the sphere of law that you mentioned, again, there was a, a case uh, recently where it emerged that a law firm had been using AI and it hadn't told its client, which raises all kinds of questions. The law firm said it, it wasn't going to lead to job losses because the AI needs a lot of human supervision at this at this moment. But it raises other questions such as should it have been more transparent with its clients that it was using AI? So and I think back to, to chat GTP, we've really seen that it can be good in some ways, but there's also lots of things it does badly. It doesn't do the job of a human writer. It doesn't have great creativity. I think we're going to talk about that a bit more later. It often is far too logical in the way it describes things. So it described a wasp sting in great detail. Well, a human would just say, ow, that hurt. Whereas the AI was telling you in, in streams of text about what was going on. So you can spot where an AI is being used. So we have to remember that we are still at quite primitive uses of it. So in a long-winded answer, I would say, inevitably, AI is going to displace jobs, but humans remain very creative. And I should imagine that we will adapt just in the same way as we still use candles, right, even though we have electricity. So, you know, we still find ways of doing things in the old ways. And I think we will continue to rely on humans for an awful lot of what makes society tick for a long time to come. Now, there's this point that um, I keep coming across, which is about the fact that speaking to the job loss thing, that you you just need one expert to guide the AI. You need one expert to sort of make sure that it's it's doing what it says it's doing. But if you need one expert, where are all these other little experts going to come up through the system? If you get rid of the donkey work, if you get rid of all the worker bees learning their craft um, because you don't need them anymore, how are you ever going to end up with experts? Have you had to tackle that one at all? Well, firstly, I would say that I don't think that it does just require one expert. It requires a lot of experts to supervise AI. I would also say that often we don't know what's going on and how the AI is working. So that's something we've got to start trying to get beneath the bonnet of, because if we don't understand how the system works, then how can we possibly aim to control it? But your point about we've come up through apprentices and learning things on the job, it's a, is a really good one. And I think it's something that the pandemic also threw into sort of sharp relief because people weren't going into offices anymore. You know, people, all these generation of people that have, would have learned from people that were more senior than them in organisations might not even ever encounter them because they're not going into their office. So I think there's lots of things we have to think about in terms of how we train people to do jobs and how we make sure the way that we learn things isn't damaged by the use of automated technologies. It's a, a continuation of a, of, a, of a conversation, actually, I've had more as a parent than as somebody in work about things like spelling and things going out of the window and whether 
whether we've learned as a society to just accept that people don't necessarily know how to spell words. And that's probably okay, isn't it? I don't know. You go back to Shakespeare's day when things were spelt in many, many different ways. Where Are we having to negotiate and navigate a world which is the norms that we know of and think of as norms that are changing all the time? Yeah, well, as well as being a technology journalist, before that I was a teacher and I'm also a parent. And so one of the things that we absolutely have to look at alongside making sure that these new technologies are regulated and that we understand how they work is thinking about how we prepare people for them. One of the big questions around chat GPT is whether it's going to mean it's the death of the essay. You know, do we need to bother writing essays anymore? Well, yes, I would argue we do need to continue writing essays because that's how we learn how to structure them. That's how we learn about grammar. That's how we learn about writing. But also there's an argument for saying maybe we completely change up the curriculum. It's been the same for hundreds of years. Maybe it's time to prepare people for a very different working environment that they'll be going into, which relies on different skills and skills to be able to tell the difference between truth and lies. Because one of the things that these these generative AI machines, uh, text generators are going to throw out is even more disinformation. So we need people to really understand how to use the internet and how to use the world around them to their best advantage. We need those creative skills, as well as the sort of tech skills that are sort of lacking in the workforce already. So it is time, and I I hope that some of these breakthroughs that we're seeing hitting the public, like ChatGTP, will will help a conversation about how we prepare our young people for a society that is changing rapidly and is going to bear very little resemblance to uh, the one that perhaps we went into when we started work. Yeah, I think that's a huge argument, isn't there, for uh, rewriting the curriculum, hopefully in a positive way, (laughs) uh, to cope with all this change. Um, I, I also wonder if we evolve as, as people. Um, you know, sometimes I get so frightened about what the kids see on the internet and whether they can distinguish between truth and reality. But they, they've got pretty good um, detectors, actually. And I, they seem to evolve this all the time. They don't get scammed nearly as much as you think they're going to get scammed because they know... Yep what to look out for and whether they're going to evolve a kind of detector to be able to tell whether something is off or whether it's generated by AI or won't it matter? Well, I mean, I think that especially at university, lecturers should be talking to their students about the fact that they're going to use these systems. They're going to try them out. And professors as yet don't have a way of detecting it. There is some software out there that allows you to tell if someone's been using plagiarism. uh, And there will obviously follow ones that specifically look at whether systems like chat GPT have been used to write an essay. But perhaps more importantly, I think we need to explain why doing the work yourself has value. Because if you just let somebody else do it, and then you've still got to do exams, because we still have that system, then what's, you know, the the AI isn't going to help you in that exam. So I think it's a question at the moment of having those really sensible conversations, accepting that technology will be used by children. They've always been better than adults at using it, right? They're always one step ahead. Schools tried to shut down the use of certain social networks, and children found ways around it to use uh, virtual private networks to get on them. So they're always going to be smarter than the adult so it's really just about explaining why using these shortcuts 
doesn't really help them in the end. Not not yet, at least. I'm I'm just sitting here thinking with my boss's hat on now. He'll be thinking arts graduates wanging on about creativity and loss <laughs> of spelling and things. Well, I should be extolling the virtues of just how much can be achieved and what brilliant technology it is and how these are going to be digital assistants which are going to be able to help people and make people's lives easier. Yeah, so I think the thing about AI is that it's absolutely going to transform certain areas like healthcare for instance AI in healthcare has been utterly transformational from being able to sift through vast amounts of data to being able to spot cancers and read through patients notes to the breakthrough that was made by DeepMind which is probably one of the key players in AI a Google-owned AI firm that made a breakthrough using AI in protein folding. Now, don't ask me why we need to fold proteins, but it's an incredibly important aspect of scientific discovery. And it's now being used very widely. This discovery was only made uh, a, a year or so ago. So I don't think we can for a minute rule out the benefits that AI is going to bring to society at all levels. I think really what I'm saying is what we do need to do is have those discussions about exactly what we want it to do and what the impact of it will be on humans and how we prepare humans for that impact. And the example I gave with schools is trying to do that by thinking of clever ways that we can allow students to work with these tools, but for it not to take over and at the risk of them coming out of of school, knowing very little more than they knew when they went in because they've relied on tools to do the job for them. I don't want to spend the entire um, amount of your precious time talking about this, although it is fascinating. Maybe we could just swerve um, briefly to talk about the tech sector in general. And I mean, this is obviously relevant because it's about job losses. But I mean, we're only in um, end of Feb, beginning of March, and we've already seen, I don't know, I pulled a figure off the internet, don't know if it's true, 103,000 tech work sector employees lost their jobs already this year my area the cloud um, computing sort of business services area is pretty bu- bullish and pretty buoyant but um in the kind of social media sort of area of tech they're shedding jobs like there's no tomorrow aren't they yeah i mean i think you've got to put those job cuts in perspective so they they hired vast amounts of people in recent years as well so when you look at it in overall terms they they haven't really shrunk that much I actually spent quite a large proportion of last year going to tech conferences, conferences around like the startup scene and the investor scene. And at those conferences, you'd hardly know that there was a sort of global downturn whatsoever because there was still plenty of money flowing into technology. And I think, you know, in some ways, the tech industry has been slightly cushioned from wider kind of society influences, partly because it's so fast moving and, you know, innovations like what we've seen with chat GPT come out of nowhere and then sort of slightly turn everything that's on, on its head. So they, they are slightly cushioned because of that. But ultimately, you know, the tech sector is going to to be hit by job losses in, in the same way that all sectors are. It, it's, it feels unavoidable given the, the sort of economic circumstances that we're living in. 
Now, we're two women talking about technology, and yet women in technology is something that comes up time and time again, particularly around International Women's Day, which is um, coming around again. Um, you know, it's still a long, long old way to go until we get sort of parity, equal numbers of men and women in technology, isn't it? Yeah, well, I've just done a podcast on diversity, actually, and been talking to some women about the problem. And I think we all kind of agreed that there has been a little bit of movement, but, you know, the numbers are going up, but very, very slowly. Uh, and there's more initiatives to encourage girls to study science, technology, maths, to keep going with those subjects, do them at university. I think that the, the numbers at university are slightly better now in terms of, of girls uh, choosing those sort of STEM subjects. There's also that kind of issue of it's not just the recruitment, you know, there's not enough females to recruit into the industry when they're getting into the industry into the tech industry they're leaving either to have babies or for various other reasons that they're not sticking in the profession and that's something that that needs to be addressed and I think you know companies are addressing this I think there has been a realization that it has to be tackled because if you don't have a diverse workforce you're not going to end up with diverse product and it's not just gender it's about getting a diverse group of people from different backgrounds as well making things I spoke to a black programmer for my pod on diversity and he was saying how you know if if some of these tech companies that had developed facial recognition had had just one black programmer in the room to test the systems on they would have learned before it went out to the market that it wasn't very good at detecting black faces you know, it, it's simple things like that, that when you say it, it almost feels incredible that that wasn't the reality, but it isn't the reality. It, it remains a very male, white industry. But we are seeing lots of initiatives and mentoring programs to try and encourage girls. Uh, and when women join tech companies, they have people that sort of help them go up, rise through the ranks. So change is happening, but it's happening much slower than perhaps it should. Yeah. And you touched there on my next question, really, which is about if you do have women underrepresented in technology, it affects the products that you get and and the algorithms and the future then becomes bias against women becomes embedded in, in, in what you're creating. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the number of times that I have said if If a woman had helped design this, it wouldn't be so complex. You know, a lot of technology seems over-engineered to me uh, and not as simple as perhaps it could be. Um, Even down to stuff like phones being not designed for sort of the way women might want to use them or the size of them. It's everything, isn't it? It's exact. You absolutely have to have these products being designed for everybody. I was talking actually to the chief executive of uh, WeTransfer, who was explaining how when he was at Google, they were surprised in the Indian market, people weren't using Google to search, they were using Facebook. And they thought the product worked for everybody, but they discovered that people were intimidated by it because they didn't know what question to ask on this blank screen that just had a bar for you to input your question. They'd rather ask questions on social media amongst their friends and their relatives because they felt more comfortable doing it that way. And it's when you start hearing those stories about the real world impact of lack of diversity, that again comes back to culture rather than gender, but... It's all part of the same problem and we absolutely have to fix it for products going into the future because AI, 
which again, I think there's only about 20% of women working specifically in AI professions, which is shocking because it's relatively new. So you'd think maybe that reflected different times, but no, it reflects the same old pattern. And AI and the data that we're feeding into AI and these systems that might power lots of things in the future, if they're biased from the start, then, you know, that that's not a good place to be. So, yeah, the problem, I, I, everybody agrees the problem has to be solved. I guess it's how you do it. And I don't think anyone's really come up with that answer. Maybe we should ask chat G, GPT what the answer is. <laughs> how do we solve gender bias? GPT? <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. So look, I'm going to draw this to a close by asking you, and it may be a bit of a curveball, but um, what are you looking forward to this year in the world of technology? Is there anything that you know that's coming out or that you wish was coming out or something to brighten our world? Well, I personally am very much looking forward to going to TED. TED is um, a conference that's held in Vancouver every year in April, Technology, Entertainment and Design. And then people will see all the TED Talks that come out of that, uh, are, come out throughout the year. And I think we're at such an interesting point in technology's history. And TED is a great thinky kind of conference that will really get to grips with those issues, the issues raised by AI, what it is to be human, you know, whether we are going to see our jobs as writers disappear, but also the sort of geopolitics that we've seen increasingly influencing technology from the Ukraine war to the problems the US and China are having the battle over chips. It's a really, really interesting time, misinformation and and what we do to cope with fake news. And I love the fact that at a conference like TED, we stand back and we try and kind of talk about the issues and what, what the solutions might be. So that's personally what I'm looking forward to. And I hope that that will also inform lots of articles that I write in the next year as well, because it's usually usually a place where you meet founders and startups and often really young people that have the next great idea in technology. And I don't know what that will be, but I'm looking forward to finding out. Will you be taking your microphone with you and your recording equipment? I will be taking a friend who has a microphone, uh, another BBC colleague. Yes. And we shall be endlessly recording everybody we meet, including, I believe, we're going to meet the co-founder of ChatGPT. And with GPT-4 just around the corner, it'll be interesting to see what he thinks is next for AI. Brilliant. Fascinating. I'm very jealous. It sounds like an absolutely amazing occasion, but it will, um, it'll generate, as you say, wonderful stories and videos and podcasts for the, for the rest of the year. So we don't need absolutely. to. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Jane. It's been really lovely to meet you and lovely of you to come on the podcast. Thank you. No problem. I hope that was everything you needed. Absolutely. If you've enjoyed this episode, then please do let me know. You can like and indeed subscribe. So that's it for the growth business for this month. See you next time. Goodbye.